Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. My name is Johnny, Johnny Wu. I serve as an elder here at City of Refuge Church. And today's sermon um, is, on the, uh, is on the topic of corporate repentance. So we were going to take a moment to pray in a, in a second, but I'll just acknowledge that for some, the, message, uh, the thought of a message on repentance is as pleasant as going to a dentist. And, and I'm sorry to any, any dentists here who are hearing that. That's how a lot of us feel. Um, many of you here are in person, and it would be rude to go home right now, but I just want to talk to the people online. <laughs> Easier for you to... Um, change your channel in some ways. But there's good news. Hebrews 12 reminds us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. If God gives us a sense of conviction this morning from his Holy Spirit, let's see that as God showing his love for us, as a way of experiencing God's love. So I want to open up right now with a time of silence. And I'm going to say a brief word of prayer. Search us, O God, know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting. Let's take a moment now to be silent before the Lord. Lord, your people, City of Refuge Church, come before you this morning. We know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that you search us and know us. We praise you now as a Lord who disciplines those he loves. Lord, as we've sung this morning, we seek your touch this morning. We seek your presence, even if it is a word of discipline. Because we know that if we're left without discipline, then we are not considered legitimate children. We are not sons. Lord, we know that you discipline us for our good, that we may share in your holiness. And that discipline itself yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for all those who have been trained by it. So Lord, we lift this time and this message to you. We lift our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. I knew this day was coming because about two weeks ago, I looked on the preaching team calendar and I saw my name penciled in next to the message, Corporate Repentance. And it wasn't confirmed yet, but I knew it was coming. And since then, the Lord has um, been good to me. I've been wrestling with the Lord over this topic. If you've spoken to me over the last week or two in person, you probably had me ask you about this, which is a great conversation starter, by the way. 
And the reason why I was wrestling with this, why it was such a weight, is because um, I realize it's an impossible task, that conviction leading to repentance is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in us. We're told in John 16, 8, that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's a true spiritual work. It cannot be accomplished by any words of human wisdom. And that's very discouraging. That was very discouraging to me because some of you might know that I'm a professor at UH. Human wisdom is what I get paid for. But as I thought about it more, I, I realized that I could feel a sense of freedom because it's all God's work. So today, my plan is that I'm going to be explaining what repentance is and what, what corporate repentance means. And I'm going to bring you some thoughts and a, and a posture and bring you to a place where we can humbly seek God together on this topic. But before I, I talk a little bit about what repentance actually is, I want to encourage us because as, we've, as I've already mentioned that that the Lord disciplines those he loves, that repentance is one way that we actually experience God's love. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because we have forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, repentance is actually a privilege we have as Christians that we may come and seek this forgiveness, that we can seek this harvest of hope, healing, and forgiveness through repentance. In Acts 3.19, we're told, um, we hear during Pentecost, that P Peter preaches, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance brings not only forgiveness of sin, but it also brings Times of refreshing. If you're feeling the need to be refreshed this morning, God may be leading you to a rather odd place of repentance to find that. And in, in Ephesians 5, we're taught that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Jesus is desiring and building a holy and pure church. He doesn't want our church or the, the global church to be mighty. He wants us to be holy. And continuous repentance and growing in holiness through that should be a natural and normal part of church life. So let's start off with what is repentance? And like many of you, when I seek to understand something, I go right to the internet. And I go to Wikipedia. In this case, I went to a dictionary, and I typed in repentance. And this is what it told me, that repentance is to express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. To express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Now, this dictionary definition doesn't fully capture what the Bible is teaching us about what repentance is. Because in the Bible, repentance is more than a feeling 
of sincere regret. It may include that, but it also involves action. Repentance is to, is to stop in our sin, to seek God, and to turn towards God's way. There's an action there of turning. And I just want to demonstrate that visually because I think the posture is important. As we've been singing up here this morning, um, and, and later I'm going to introduce that as, as a model of repentance, that, that if my people called by my name will humble themselves, I'm going to, I'm going to model that just by bowing down, humble, humble themselves, pray and seek my face. There's this posture of humility and turn from their wicked ways. There's an action of turning. For the benefit of this side of the room, <laughs> I'll do that again, that repentance involves a posture of humility, of prayer and seeking the Lord's face. And when we know which way the Lord is leading us, to turn, to turn from it and go in the Lord's way. There is that action. It's a complete change of direction towards God. And the words repent, repentance, they're not in just a small part of the Bible. They're mentioned over a hundred times. We can see them all through the Old Testament and New Testament. In the Gospels, we see the ministry of John the Baptist was centered around repentance. In Matthew 3, 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This message of repentance preceded good news of the gospel that Jesus brought. And not only did John call for repentance, he reminded us that there is fruit in repentance. John said in Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When we stop and turn to God's ways, there is fruitfulness. Some of these fruits that we might experience include righteousness, restoration, and reconciliation. Jesus' own ministry began, and I think this is little known, this is a surprise to me, but his own ministry began with a call to repentance. It says in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, we see repentance. Peter's message was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, Pastor Brandon taught us from the opening um, sermon of this sermon series, we see the example of Jesus calling the seven churches to repent. So we see repentance in the church's history, in the past, present, and the future. Now that's a little bit about repentance, but what is corporate repentance? Corporate repentance has elements of individual repentance. But corporate repentance 
is when an entire community comes together to repent for a collective sin. So an entire community comes together to repent for a collective sin. And usually it, would, it involves a community leader to lead this, to publicly confess a message using the words we or us. And I guess that's why one of the elders got penciled in for this message. But the example I want to use for corporate repentance actually comes from the third most searched for Bible verse of 2020. And that's the, the last song that we sung. Now I've been told that this verse, uh, that this verse has been used for various political purposes, sometimes it's taken out of context. But I want us to look at this verse from the standpoint of what corporate repentance should look like. Second Chronicles 7.14, as we've sung together this morning, says, If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. In this example, we see corporate repentance. It involves a community of God's people who humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. So if you could imagine this morning, instead of myself being on the stage to demonstrate this, well, we don't need to imagine it. We're here in person. Let's do this together. Let's, let's model this together. I'd like everyone to stand. And again, let's take on this posture, the first this posture. So if you, if you can bow down or just slightly bow down, Corporate repentance involves all of us together humbling themselves, praying and seeking my face. And we'll bow down together to model that, that posture. And then turning from their wicked ways, if we all can take a step in an, a different direction. And that action itself, it signifies something that happens in response to that posture. You may all sit down. Thank you. Doing that together is what corporate repentance would look like. We come to seek the Lord as a body. And in corporate repentance, there is a, there is a struggle because you may not personally feel a sense of conviction. You, you may not have even been around to see the sin or be or, or have been directly involved with it. But as the Lord shows our community and our leadership, this is a collective act where we repent and turn from our ways. So this leads to the questions that I've been wrestling with over the last two weeks and why this message has been so challenging to prepare well, what, what, is these, what are these areas of corporate sin? What do we do in response to them? And before I get to that, I want to first recap what we already know about corporate sin from some of the earlier messages. As Brandon taught from the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, corporate sin is, is we can understand it as a, as a pervasive and, and normalized sin, something that is built into the way of life of a community. 
as Brandon taught us, it's a pervasive and normalized sin. It's built into the way of life of a community. It could be an action that we've done against God. It could be something that we were called to do but neglected. So in other words, it could be a sin of commission. It may be a sin of omission. And Brandon reminded us that it is still possible for individuals to live righteously in the midst of corporate sin. For example, in Revelation 3, the church of Sardis had a reputation of being alive but was considered dead. This church was called to wake up and repent. Yet, Jesus noted in Revelation that you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So we are reminded that it's still possible to live righteously within the midst of corporate sin. Yet, at the same time, the church of Sardis was called to repent. That is one tension that some of us may have to hold together as we hear this message of corporate repentance. But as I reviewed Brandon's sermon and, and, and looked into the seven churches of Revelation, one church in particular stood out to me. And, and I'm going to say that I'm not directly comparing this church to us, but I think there's something that can be learned from this church. And this was the church of Laodicea from Revelation 3.14. Now this church is special in that the seven out of the seven churches, it's the only church that did not receive a single commendation. They were only called to repent. They were not commended for anything in particular. And what, is, what stood out to me with this church is that it's really difficult to place your finger on what their specific sin was. In Revelation 3, 4, uh, 15, 18, the letter to the church of Laodicea says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What, what was the sin of this church? And what could they have done to have pleased the Lord? You see, the church of Laodicea, they felt like they were getting things right. But it was only partly true. They were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. And worse, this church, despite their condition, they felt self-sufficient. They were unaware of their true state of spiritual poverty. They what. To put it into two words, I would say they felt a sense of false satisfaction. The second song that we sang today, I Want More, is not a song that would have resonated with this church at Laodicea. Does it resonate with us? Do we want more? I think if the Laodicean church were to repent and turn from their ways, what they would do in response to that call would be to be to desperately seek true kingdom treasure. To seek true treasure. Because this church felt rich, 
They felt like they had everything. They were satisfied by things they shouldn't have been. And a true act of repentance for this church would have been to seek, just to seek, first of all, and to seek true treasure. So at this point, I want to turn the spotlight onto our church. And before I do that, I want to make sure that we understand that these questions are not individual. They're not, I'm not turning the spotlight on any of you individually because some of you would rightly respond, I'm already doing these things or I can't possibly do any more. That's not my calling. But remember, these questions are for our church community. And they're based on what we've been hearing from the messages. They've been, they're based on what I've been trying to search the Lord for and conversations that we've had over the past couple weeks. And the way that I want us to respond is in a posture of humility and seeking and prayer. And the way that we can respond this morning is the way that we've seen modeled throughout the Gospels. Because when John the Baptist brought his message of repentance, the crowds asked a question. And that's how I want us to respond this morning, is by asking a question. The crowds asked John, what shall we do? Just asking that question, what shall we do, is an act of seeking the Lord, is an act of seeking true treasure. If only the church of Laodicea had been saying, what shall we do? I don't think they would have received that letter. The crowds asked John, what shall we do? And John replied to the crowds, and this is to the crowds, this is not to us. So I'm giving an example of a prophetic response. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came. They, they asked, teacher, what shall we do? And John told them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers came. They said, what shall we do? John said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. When Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler on riches, he asked him whether he'd been keeping the commandments. The young man sincerely asked. He said, all these commandments I have kept what do I still lack? It's that question again. What shall we do? What, what do we still lack, Lord? That brings us to this place, this posture. At Peter's sermon at Pentecost, as the people were hearing it, it's recorded that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do is the place that I want us to be in this morning before the Lord. What shall we do is the question that precedes a turning. What shall we do is probably the question that would have pleased the Lord if the church at Laodicea had been asking that. So what shall we do is the question that, that I 
ask all of us to respond to as I bring up each of these questions that I've had over the week. And I have one, two, three, four, I have like four or five. I didn't number them here. But at, at the end of each one, I will lead us to stay in a humble and prayerful posture before the Lord. What shall we do? So the first thing I'll, I'll bring up is that I truly believe <clears throat> our church is a welcoming place. I see that many of us love to greet each greet each other warmly and connect. But it is also true that some in our church do not feel needed or feel that they're not part of anyone's plans here. Not now, maybe not ever. But in God's wisdom of his church, he's created a diversity that is essential. And this diversity is in spiritual giftings. The spiritual gifts are designed to make all of us indispensable to each other. We cannot live with certain parts of the body, uh, without certain parts of the body. In this church, um, similar to many other churches, we have a smaller percentage of people serving a larger percentage of the church. There's this is natural, and there are good reasons for this. But I think there is a sense that there are some who want to serve. People feel like they have something to offer but can't find a place. For the leaders of our church, what does this say about the church activities that we value? When the gifts have been given and we are indispensable to one another, but there are places that people cannot find within our church activities to use those gifts. And if we think about the ordering of the gifts, in 1 Corinthians 12, we are taught that there are greater gifts and lesser gifts. And we're told to eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I'm going to just choose the top five here because there's a long list. But God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, and gifts of healing. I'm going to say those five again so that we can ponder those as we think about the life of our church. God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, second prophets, third teachers, <clears throat> then miracles, then gifts of healing, <clears throat> and eagerly desire the greater gifts. Have we made space in our church life for these gifts to flourish, especially the greater, the greater gifts? I see the gift of teaching flourishing, which is great. How about the other ones? How would we find space for that? Let's respond together. Lord, what shall we do? Second topic that's come to me is to celebrate, celebrate the rich. And what does that mean? Because it's not a sin to be rich, but we understand that the rich enter the kingdom with great difficulty. Like a camel 
going through the eye of a needle. And I know that many of us don't feel rich here, but some of us realize we are. And I want to celebrate that because for everyone who considers themselves rich here but has been saved, you are a walking miracle. We, we are a walking miracle. When the disciples heard this teaching about how a rich man can, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they were astonished and they said, Lord, who then can be saved? In other words, this is impossible. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that miracle, we are walking miracles of that. For anyone here who feels rich and knows that they are saved, we're walking miracles. Do us as rich celebrate this miracle of God doing the impossible in our lives? But do we also acknowledge the continued difficulties that the rich will face as they try to follow Jesus? Do we who are rich desperately seek kingdom treasure, knowing that our earthly possessions are temporary? So do we acknowledge that those who are rich need to be saying on a daily basis, Lord, what shall we do? You've got us this far. You've done a miracle in our life. Every time someone sees me, they should be seeing a camel going through the eye of a needle. Let us respond together. Lord, what shall we do? And here, this is where I bring up loving the poor. Because in Romans 12.3, we are taught how to evaluate each other. Romans 12.3 says, for the, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're called to think about each other according to the measure of faith that we have. And as Brother Elijah brought to us last week, in terms of faith, the poor have been made rich in faith. As we look around, and we think of each other, do we see that faith? Do we treasure that faith? Do we seek to learn and listen to those who have great faith? Specifically with the poor, are there ways in which we meet and do things that are not comfortable to brothers and sisters from less wealthy backgrounds? This is a question for our leadership. It's a question that requires us to, to, to think together and to do things intentionally. As Brother John Agege brought up, uh, brought up, our church was intentionally built between two communities, the medical center and the third ward. And as Brother John mentioned, in recent years, we've started to look more like one side than the other, more like the, more, more like the affluent 
and better educated of the two communities and less like the other side. Why is this? In Revelation 3, with the church of Laodicea, we're told that Jesus knocked on the door of the church. A lot of times this verse is used to think to talk about knocking on the door of our hearts individually, but actually he was knocking on the door of the church. If you can imagine Jesus knocking on our front door, is it possible that Jesus has literally knocked on our church door, but we missed him? Because in the Gospels, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said, where, where did we see you, Jesus? We've never seen you knock at our front door. But Jesus says, as you did to the least of my brothers, you did it for me. Are we answering this call, this knock on our doors? Let's respond together. Lord, what shall we do? We love our church sisters. We really do. But for the leadership, do we seek to pay special attention and listen and understand their needs, realizing that the sisters in our church have less direct ways to be heard by us, to talk to us. It's just because of the way, um, because of the way things are. Brothers, do we see our sisters as co-image bearers? Do we seek the spiritual treasures and giftings that God has placed in our sisters? Let's respond together. Lord, what shall we do? And for my final item, I lift up our children and youth. Have we adopted them into our community and acted as their spiritual mothers and fathers? When, when Jesus saw the children, he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. There's a treasure there. When the Lord sees children, he sees true spiritual treasure. Do we seek that? Our older congregants, do we, do we value them? Do we love them? Do we try to protect them from burnout? Do we seek to serve them? As I talked to Brother Sol over the week, who had brought us the message on, um, on, on um, I can't remember the specific title of it, but it was ageism, is that right? Generational, generational sin. We were called to freedom. Galatians 5 tells us that you were called to freedom, all of us. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Are we seeking to respect one another, serve one another, and love one another? Let's respond together. Lord, what shall we do? So this morning, brothers, brothers and sisters, that's where, that's where we are going to end this message 
but maybe start a posture of repentance in these issues. As we learned this morning, corporate repentance involves this first this posture of humbleness, of prayer, of seeking the Lord. If only the Laodicean church had done that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have received that letter, I don't think. I believe we are starting to enter this space. At some point, we need to turn from those ways. But I encourage you to speak to one another, to talk about these things. I know that they're uncomfortable. They Sometimes we want to avoid it. But with corporate repentance, the key to corporate repentance is that it has to be done together. There's no one person in here who can bring us to a place of corporate repentance. It's from the body, our community, talking and understanding how the Lord is speaking to us. It's from the Lord raising up prophetic gifts to speak to us. As the soldiers asked John the Baptist, what should we do? John brought a prophetic message. Are there prophetic messages here that we need to hear? Church, I know this is a heavy message. I truly believe that we have soft hearts. I really, I really believe that there is a loving community. There are people, many of us, living in a different way than the world and choosing that, giving up their lives to serve the Lord, to be disciples, to follow him. But we as a body, there are some hard questions that maybe I've mentioned or maybe that you have in mind. I encourage you with these words, do not let them fall to the ground, but keep pondering them. Keep asking the Lord, Lord, what shall we do? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, you are our Father in heaven. We thank you for making yourself known to us. We thank you for showing us your love in many different ways, including through words of discipline. Lord, we pray that you help us to enter into this posture of humility, of seeking. Lord, that you open our eyes so that we may see true treasures around us and desperately go after them. Lord, you love us so much and you've done so much good work in us already. Your promise is that you'll never leave us or forsake us from now to the end of the age. And Lord, as you continue to walk with us, help us. Answer us, Lord, as we ask, Lord, what shall we do? Guide us. Help us to turn away from the distractions of temporary thinking towards things that are eternal, that are of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.